You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. My heart and my mind for a while uh, that God has been bringing back. I went to um, I went to a conference Monday and Tuesday, the fifteenth and sixteenth, right before the ladies went off to New York, and uh, uh, it was it was geared for all church different functions. I mean, if there was people that were uh, you know in a security team, or there was people that were in a uh, worship pastors or they were people that I mean it was all kind of different things and I went on the uh, track with all the um, songs and the singing and all and everybody that did a workshop there just kept coming back to this idea of of our heart before God and how is our heart conditioned before God and I couldn't get away from it even if I, even after I came back from that conference and just in my studies and in different things that kept coming up songs that would come to my mind just things I said, you know what, the Lord's really speaking here, and I began to really pray about that, and I really believe that God has given this message tonight. So we are back in Psalm 51, and a little bit different track maybe than this morning. Uh, again, a great message this morning, brokenness, and such an important thing. And, 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 and you know, I, I, in this morning, we look in this world, and I mean, there is a lot of brokenness in the world, a lot of things in this world that sin has affected in such a huge way. Our relationships and our world in general, and we look and, and in our own lives, just the effect that sin has had uh, on our lives uh, uh, and, and living in this world and knowing and being thankful that God is a healer and restorer of all things broken. What an amazing thing. I want to look tonight here uh, a little bit different path because there are some things that God wants us to be broken over in our lives. Um, God wants us to have a broken and contrite heart before Him. I think that's the thing that really brought me back to this particular passage over and over again is, is the idea that, that there are things in our life that, that really should break our hearts. You know, I was thinking about that riding down the road this, this week, uh, just making some different visits. That um, How many of you know, I know everyone has heard, has heard the phrase, a broken heart, right? How many, <laughs> we've had broken hearts, right? Uh, over different things, you know. Uh, maybe, maybe in this room, you, your first love, you know, the, that first crush. And now, and it, but you're not with that person, and so you, you know, maybe in your first crush when you were younger is no longer, no longer there. And so you had that broke, that first time you ever had that broken heart or whatever. Or you've experienced the loss of a loved one in your life. You've experienced some kind of great tragedy, and you've you've had a broken heart over that. Uh, how many of you know that there are actually? heart strings in our heart. How many of you knew that? And that our emotions can be so great at times that those little tiny heart strings, you know, and you hear that phrase too, oh, you're pulling on my heart string, right? When something's really got a hold of you and you want to help someone or you really feel bad for somebody, you have some sympathy and compassion on someone, oh, you're pulling my heart strings. Have you heard that phrase before? They actually can break. They are there, and they actually can break, and it's not like a life-threatening condition, but that idea of a broken heart really does have some actual foundation inside of our own hearts. It does actually have a real, uh, uh, it's not just a phrase, in other words. It is actually something that's there, and it happens in those times of great emotional trauma that we experience in our life sometimes through loss and through other things that happen when a, uh, we have a broken heart. Those, those heart strings can actually break. So it is an actual real condition, a broken heart. 
but in the, in the literal sense, in the figurative sense, God wants our hearts to be broken over some different things in our life. And that was, that was specifically the part that kept coming back to my mind and kept coming back to my mind. And so I just want to focus in on two verses at first and then kind of expand from there. So Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17, if you'll join me there in your copy of God's Word. And we'll read these verses out loud and gain some context here for this evening. It says in verse 16, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God, here it is, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. And that was those two verses that kept coming back to my mind, those two verses that God kept working in and bringing back into different things that I was hearing both at that conference I went to and then just different things that would go along uh, in my day since then uh, as God was leading. And I just began to really think about all the things that that entails. You know, David in this whole psalm, we know, you know that this psalm was written after David's sin with Bathsheba and he had been confronted by the prophet Nathan and he had just... I'm, I'm guilty. We know all those things that happened and brought him to this point. And I think that was the thing that made David that man after God's own heart, as he was described. Because when someone came to him and said, you've done wrong, he didn't say, well, you know. He admitted it. And he knew that he'd done wrong. And he wrote this. He had a broken heart before the Lord. And he wrote in this psalm about that broken heart. So let's kind of dive right in here. Three things tonight that I want to tell you that our heart should be broken over. Three things tonight that our heart should be broken over. Number one, our heart should be broken over our sin. Our heart should be broken over our sin. Number two, our heart should be broken in the way that we approach God in our worship, or our heart should be broken over our worship towards Him. And finally, our heart should be broken for the lost as well. Three things our, 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 the, our heart should be broken for. Sin, how we worship God, and for the lost. Let's look at here tonight, first of all, broken over our sin. Go back over in Psalm 51 to verse number 1 right there, and just point out a few things here in verse number 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. David immediately, within the first three verses of Psalm 51, he immediately focuses on himself and realizes that what he has done has been sin. And just for a minute here, contrast that in your mind to what we know of the original sin in the garden with Adam and Eve. The first thing that happened was, you know, God says, hey, what's going on, guys? And Eve said, well, the serpent, a snake. And then, and then Adam says, well, you know, Adam does a double whammy. The woman that you gave me. He's got his fingers pointed in two directions, right? The woman that you gave me. And, and, and immediately in, in the garden that happens, David doesn't say, hey, you know what? If you hadn't let her take a bath on the roof down there, okay, I wouldn't have been in this mess, you know? Or if he had, if he had said, you know, God, if, if you just made her, you know, like ugly or something, you know, no, I'm just, don't take that too far, okay? But you understand what I'm saying? Like, he didn't point blame. He didn't say, it's not my fault. I didn't do it. He immediately recognized, hey, you know what? I sinned. I did something wrong. I committed the sin. David first admits his own guilt. He doesn't try to shift the blame. I went through the psalm, and, and I think I counted them all. 
And, you know, someone may go back and count them later and say, no, you missed one. But, but I went back through the psalm and I counted. I believe there's about 29 times, 29 different times, where David uses a term about himself. It's either I or my or mine or me. Okay? Uh, I believe I counted right. And so throughout the whole psalm, he is continually focused on himself. He realizes, and not in a bad way, it's in a humble way. He realizes, I've done wrong. It's not anybody else's fault. Nobody made me do it. Nobody, nobody did anything to me to make me do I did this. I did wrong. And so in our lives, the first thing that we have to do is come to that place where we acknowledge our sin as well. And we're broken over that. We're broken in the sense that we, we realize that we have done wrong, and, and sure, there may have been factors that influenced us, and there may be temptation out there that caused but it's our sin, it's my sin. I'm responsible. I'm personally accountable for what I did wrong. And that's what David came to that conclusion. Later on, David begins to admit his condition as well. Look at verse number 5. Because David doesn't just stop at his own sin. I acknowledge my transgression. Let's start in verse number 4. He says this, against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. David realizes that his sin was against God. And sure, there were other people involved. I mean, Uriah died. He murdered Uriah, basically. And he committed adultery with Bathsheba. So there are other people involved in his sin. But he realizes that ultimately his sin was against God. And we come to that conclusion as well in our lives. But David then goes on to admit a further thing about himself. Look at verse number 5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now again, David here is not saying that that act of conception is sinful, and he's not saying that the act of birth is sinful in any way. What David is doing is he's acknowledging that original sin, and that's so key. That's so important theologically that we acknowledge that original sin that affects everybody. In the book of Romans, we see time and time again how Paul makes that comparison. The first Adam sinned, and because of that first Adam sin, all humanity has the sin curse on them, and all creation has that sin curse on them. In addition to the sin that we commit ourselves, there is that sin, that separation from God, and then the second Adam, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, redeems us from the fall, redeems us, and brings us back to reconciliation with God through his death and resurrection. But we look here, David's, that's what David's doing. He's going back to that original sin. And, I, and I've heard this phrase before, and I want to I share it with you, and then I've got a couple other verses here, but I, I want to share this phrase with you real quick. We as people are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. That's an important thing for us to realize in our own life. If we take that phrase backwards and we say, well, the only reason I'm a sinner is because I've committed sin, well, that's not really the whole truth. And that's almost like saying, well, I could save myself if I just stop sinning. If I just become a good person and stop doing what's wrong, then I can save myself. I don't, I don't need Jesus. That's what that would be saying. So we're not sinners because we do wrong things, because we sin. We sin because we already have that sin curse on us. That corruption is already there, and we need Christ to heal us. We need Christ to fix and restore that brokenness in our life. We're sinners because, or we sin because we are sinners. Jeremiah 4.3 says this, For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break ope your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. Hosea 10.12, this was a verse that, that uh, was in our, our, uh, 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 the, uh, our daily bread for kids. We have that book at our house, and every morning 
we do Our Daily Bread for, for Kids. And that was the verse that, that morning. I thought, man, that is so good. That, I'm telling you, everything, like little things would happen. And God was saying, look, here's another verse. Here's another verse. Here's what it says in, in Hosea 10, 12. Sow to yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground. For it's time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Different times uh, throughout the Bible, God is making those agricultural references through his prophets. But he's saying, listen, we know this here. You cannot go out and just throw seeds in the ground and hope that you're going to get what you want. You've got to go out there and turn it up and plow that. And I was watching, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not sure who, who owns this property that's right here down where Mr. Brisson, that road that you live on, and there's that, that road right there. And I was, as I run in the morning, I would watch and I would see the progress that they're making on that field there beside your house. And there was, they would plow it up and then they would go back and do things. And I would see every day the progress that was being made. And we have to do that in our hearts and our lives. So we have to break open that fallow ground and get it stirred up and get our lives back. Uh, 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 allow God to work in that way and break open this stuff so that our hearts are tender and ready. The soil is prepared. Our hearts, our hearts in our, uh, are compared to ground in a lot. We saw that in James, too, in our James study, that our hearts are compared to ground, and they have to be, the hearts have to be prepared and ready to receive that word. And part of that, uh, 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 receiving the word and hearing from God, is having our hearts broken before him. Break open the fallow ground. Let God work in our heart. David was humble and honest with, with his condition. Planting cannot begin until the ground is prepared. And so our hearts and our lives have to be prepared as well. Sometimes we go through broken hearts uh, uh, because God has broken our hearts so that he gets our attention. Sometimes we have a broken heart because things have happened in our life and it makes us wake up a little bit. God says, prepare. We have to prepare our hearts. Our hearts have to be ready to receive that word. David receives pardon and restoration as well. As we talked that this was a little bit this morning still, uh, uh, as what David Foster was focusing on here, but pardon and restoration. Verse 6 and 7, look there. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, in the hidden part. Thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop. I shall be clean. Wash me. I shall be whiter than snow. David receives pardon because his repentance is true. You ever, you ever had something happen or you've dealt with somebody who is sorry they got caught and not sorry that they did something wrong? <laughs> it happens sometimes to kids, you know. I mean. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it happened when I was a school teacher sometimes. And it's still, you know, it still happens sometimes. We're, you know, and oftentimes in our own lives, maybe we, we feel that same way. Hopefully not, but sometimes maybe we do. But we're sorry. Someone is sorry they got caught. Well, I'm sorry I got caught, you know, or they don't actually say that out loud, but that's how they're really feeling. That's not true repentance. That's not true repentance, you know. And, and, and we're trying to, you know, we're trying to teach at home that when we go to a person uh, that we've hurt, we have to ask forgiveness for that specific thing. You know, don't just go to say, well, I'm sorry, I did that. Well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, uh, because what, that, what happens a lot of times is we're not really truly sorry. Well, I go to, to our children and I say, listen, if you, if you wrong one of your other siblings, you say sorry for the very specific thing that you did. What happened? So that they are taking ownership of what they did wrong and they're, and they're admitting and they're saying it out loud so that they are forgiven for, you know, for that specific thing. Okay. So that it is true repentance, that it's true sorrow, and teaching that—it's a—it's te- a, not something that you just automatically do. You have to—we have to teach it and plan it. 
David receives pardon because his repentance is true. In those verses, he acknowledges the grace of God. Look at verse 6 again. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. In the hidden part shalt thou make me to know wisdom. David is wanting and desiring to learn and to know what God wants, and he sees God working inside. Again, in our broken heart, as the seed, as the word is planted in our hearts, God is producing the, and, and, through that and, and working, and the fruit is growing. Acknowledging the grace of God, he knows that the grace of God is working towards us and that the grace of God is working in us. The grace of God is working towards us in this way, that we become honest and sincere in our profession before others. As we go about our daily lives, that our profession as Christians is a true and honest and sincere profession, that when people look at our lives, they see God working in our life because they see a difference in our life. People that have known you for a long time or people uh, in a family or people that you work with, they're going to see a difference in our life. Then they're gonna, you know, and, and even sometimes people that you meet for the first time. Then our testimony is sincere and true and our, and our profession of Christ is honest before men. They're going to say, you know what, there's something different about that person. I just don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it. But there's something different about that person. It's Christ working in us to show out, to shine the gospel out. We're, Christ working in our hearts as well to bring about change. Knowledge from God turns to wisdom in not following through with temptation. Knowledge from God turns into that wisdom. Remember, knowledge is knowing something. Wisdom is the proper application of that knowledge. We can, we can know about a lot of things. We can know about, you know, how to fix, how to fix a washing machine, I guess. <laughs> we can know how to do something, but if we don't ever apply that knowledge in a practical way, it really does no good, you know. Uh, and so we have to use that. When we come to the Word and we get the knowledge of God from His Word in our hearts and in our minds, we apply that knowledge. And God uses that in our lives to produce the wisdom that we need to overcome those temptations that come to us in our life. David also in verse 6 acknowledges the inner man. The inner man. Turn over in your Bible to Romans chapter 7, please. Romans chapter 7. Because this is, a, this is a concept that's often addressed in the New Testament quite a bit. The inner man. The inner being, who we are on the inward side. And, and David here is acknowledging that right now. David is, and we're getting ready to kind of move into the next thing. Our hearts need to be broken over our worship as we get this. And that's why it's important for us to see this. Our inward man needs to have a proper relationship. Romans chapter 7, verse number 22 says simply this, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Paul is, of course, talking about the law in the Old Testament and things, but what, we're, what he's getting at here is that this outward show of the law that the Pharisees had created and that the Old Testament, you know, all uh, through tra traditions of men and all this is not the real religion. It's not the true thing. And Paul is delighting on the inward man about the law of God because he knows that that knowledge, that wisdom, that knowledge from the Old Testament law produces wisdom to show us our condition before God, that we are broken before God and we need a Savior. There's no way that any person could truly 100% keep the Ten Commandments, let alone the other 600 and whatever there are that the actual Orthodox Jew has to keep. You know, we always think about, oh, the Ten Commandments, Ten Commandments, Ten Commandments, which is a good thing to think about. 
because the whole law is summed up in the, it, but they had, I mean, 600, over 600 things, you know, ladies in here, you better be glad that you're not Orthodox Jews, because if you ever try to keep a kosher home, a truly kosher home, it would be a very, very hard thing to do, uh, and yet, that's what they do in the, in, the, in the Jewish religion for those, for those truly Orthodox Jewish ladies, you know? And, and so uh, it's, a, it's a lot that was put on. But it's not the outward stuff. It's the inner man that's important. David knows the inner man is where true repentance and belief lies. It's not in the outward show of religion. It's not in the things that we do outside that people see. Now, we'll get into this in a minute, but what's on the inside should come out in how we conduct ourselves in church and how we share Christ but the outside thing is not the important. The inside thing is what's important. Back in Psalm 51, verse number 7. Purge me with hyssop. I shall be clean. Wash me. I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. It's interesting here that David uses that uh, word hyssop. It's, a, it's used in the ceremonial cleansing of things in the Old Testament. Uh, specifically, two things. I looked it up. Specifically, ceremonial cleansing in relation to lepers and leprosy and death. After a person died in a Jewish home, their, their home was unclean, and so they had to have it clean ceremonially, and they would use the hyssop in that process. Okay? Uh, and so we, we, we see here these two things, and I think it's interesting because those two things, death and leprosy, are pictures of what sin does okay leprosy of course is the the skin is falling and I just it's it's really bad that's the corruption in our soul because of our sin nature leprosy pictures the sin corruption of our soul that we're not whole we're not perfect we're not clean as those lepers in the Old Testament that unclean unclean as they went around because they didn't no one could come close to them or they'd get the disease too and then death. Death is just, it's separation. It's separation. Physical death. Your body is separated from your soul and spirit. You know, eternal death that people will experience someday if they refuse Christ. They do not accept him and they're sent to eternal hell and eternal lake of fire at the end of all things. That's eternal separation from God. And that's the second death. That's why in Revelation it's often called the second death. And so... It's just a picture of separation. That's what sin does as well. It separates us from God. Our sin nature separates us from God. Our sin nature, uh, this, oftentimes uh, the sin that we commit can separate us from other people, you know? Maybe not literally, but sometimes literally. Sometimes we wrong a person, we sin against a person, uh, offend them in some way, and there is a separation. That person doesn't want to hang around you anymore. You don't want to hang around that person. And so there's, there's sometimes a literal separation of people in their relationship. Sometimes when we are in sin and we're refusing to admit that sin, we're refusing to repent of that sin, we can feel separated from people. Our relationships and our friendships are kind of, they don't feel the same, okay? Uh, maybe you've experienced, you don't have to raise your hand or nod your head, but maybe you've experienced this sometime in your own life where, you know, you just did, like your relationship wasn't quite right with somebody around you. And though, so there could be a separation in our relationships with people uh, emotionally or spiritually or even sometimes literally because of our sin. Death separates. Leprosy is corruption. And so when David is saying here, purge me with hyssop, he's talking about that cleansing. Make me clean again, God. Make me clean in your eyes again so that I can be restored before you. 
and then restoration and service. This is important here. Verse number uh, 10 and 11. Read that with me. Created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. David here is acknowledging a very important thing in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was often connected with service and a person serving God. Okay? And so what David is doing in this particular part of the psalm is he's remembering that Saul and his heirs were refused as being kings. The kingdom was taken from them because of the sin of Saul. Their service was over. And ultimately it's because of his sin. And David says, oh man, I saw what happened to Saul. His heart is so broken before God that he realizes that that service, that position of being king could be now compromised for himself and for his children as well because he has sinned a great sin in service. In the New Testament, our, the Holy Spirit dwells in the heart of the believer. And so when we are talking about brokenness before in the Holy Spirit, we're talking about a relationship being restored, you know, versus service. But, but uh, in the Old Testament, that's what it was. It's service. And so David is, is realizing that the consequences of his sin are great. And he's praying for restoration from, uh, to be restored back into service that the spirit would not be taken from him so that he could continue to serve as king. So we need to be broken in our sin. We need to be broken over our sin, realizing that our sin keeps us from that relationship with God. It keeps us with that relationship oftentimes with other people. And it separates us. It corrupts us. And it's on all of us. Not only the sin that we have committed, specific sins we've committed, but also uh, that general sin nature that is on us as human beings that will be lifted uh, in, you know, in, the, in the future. Let's look at the next thing, broken in our worship. Our hearts need to be broken in our worship. Notice in the psalm, as the, as the psalm progresses forward, that David does not say anything about worshiping God or praising God until after he has first acknowledged his sin, asked for forgiveness, and asked to be restored. And then he says, now I can praise you. Look down at verse number um, 13, beginning there. Let's back up to 12, actually. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. After that, deliver me, then my tongue will sing. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. David has come to a place where he realizes that he cannot have that worship the way that he needs to have that worship with God because of his sin. And so the first thing he does is takes care of that sin in his life. In our lives, we have to do the same thing. In our lives, we have to make sure that anything that, that is between us and God has been taken care of. How many of you know that old hymn, Nothing Between? Nothing between my soul and the Savior. How many of you know that? So that his blessed face may appear. You know, ah, I've got a new hymn I can teach you now. Okay, here it comes. All right, uh, it's a great hymn, but that's what it is. Nothing between my soul and the Savior. And as we come and approach him, we have to get those things out of the way. Worship comes after restoration. Only after the restoration does David praise God. He gets his heart right first, then he brings praise. Psalm 19, 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength. And my Redeemer, why is he saying that? Because it's acceptable in the sight of God when we first get our hearts in tune with God, when we first get our hearts right before God. 
then our worship is acceptable. Then our sacrifices are acceptable. Notice again as we continue forward and we get back to the two verses that were the main, the main context for tonight's message. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Verse 16. And this is what I think really got me at first because in the Old Testament, God did set up that sacrificial, you have to sacrifice in order to be right before God. But then if you, if you go and if you have one of those Bibles like I have that's got other little verses, you know, beside it, and you go to these other verses and you read them, it's not just Psalm 51 where David or somebody says, don't bring that stuff in here anymore. God sometimes is speaking to the people and saying, why are you bringing me all this stuff? What's the purpose of this? And we'll read some of those verses here in a minute, but it, sacrifice was a necessary thing for the people of the Old Testament. But they let it become the worship rather than focusing on who the worship was for. They let it become the reason why they were going there rather than going there to have that relationship restored with God. They let it become their tradition. They let it become their thing that they did. And they were no longer really thinking about why they were doing it. And God says, why are we doing this? It was a necessary process. Look over at Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. You get there, verse number 11. Look what God says here to the people through the prophet Isaiah. Chapter 1, verse number 11. He says, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? saith the Lord. I'm full of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? You say, well, well, you asked us to do it, God. They're doing it in the wrong spirit. Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me, the new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies. I cannot away with it. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. And he goes on from there. It became routine. It's just another thing to do. Well, it's the Sabbath. Well, it's the day we got to do it. Let's get the lamb. Let's go on over there. Come on, here we go. Their hearts weren't broken in their worship. Do our hearts get that way sometimes? Do our hearts get that way? Say, so, well, Sunday morning, I guess I'm going to go to church today. Well, it's Sunday morning, I guess we're going to go to Sunday school. Well, I guess we're going to, you know, go over here on Sunday. I get do our traditions block us from what is really important about church? The people here lost in awe of who God is. They lost the awe of who God is. Look over in Jeremiah now. Jeremiah chapter number 7. Jeremiah chapter number 7. What he said, this is what God says again to the prophet Jeremiah. He says, For I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this, verse number 23, this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and ye shall be my people. And walk ye in all the ways I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. Obedience 
is what God wanted. Obedience from the heart. Not obedience out of duty. Not obedience out of, well, I ha you know, it's what I always do. Obedience from the heart. In the Old Testament, the people's motive changed in their worship. They were coming and sacrificing before God as if God somehow needed them to do that. And that's why God says, why do you keep bringing this? Why? It, it changed in their motive. Turn back into Psalm, Psalm 50. Just back one Psalm from our main text tonight. Their, their motive changed. They were bringing their offerings and sacrifices to God as if God was somehow dependent on them doing this stuff in order for him to be, you know, fulfilled or whatever. Psalm 50, verse number 8. says, I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices or thy burnt offerings to have been continually before me. I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats out of thy folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee. For the world is mine, the fullness thereof. Will I eat the flesh of bulls, or drink the blood of goats? Offer unto God thanksgiving, and pay thy vows unto the Most High. We have to be careful in our, that, that we don't get the same attitude as the Israelites did, that somehow God needs us. You know, well, it's a good thing that I'm on that committee because if I wasn't on that committee, buddy, this whole church would go downhill fast. <laughs> it's a good thing that I teach Sunday school. It's a good thing that I'm in Awana. It's a good thing that... Here's something that all of us, me included, have to remember from time to time. It's our experience in God. God's work is moving forward. And God wants us to join his work. He wants to use us. He wants us to be a part of what he's doing. But he doesn't need us. And if we harden our hearts and we're not broken before him in our way that we serve him, in the way that we worship him, he'll find someone who is. He'll find a church that is. He'll find someone else and they will use that person. That's a scary thing. Whew. Not to be used by God to just be doing what we do just because it's what we're supposed to do. Something I think about all the time because, you know what, I love, I love all the songs that we sing. Man, the new ones and the old ones, and I love them all, and I see the words in the songs. I think, do we ever sing the words of the songs just because they're in the book or they're on the screen? Do we sing the words of the song because my grandma taught me how to sing that song, which is fine if she did. It's, I'm not saying anything bad about that. But, but are we singing them because that song is a song of praise to God? And I think about as we, as we sing those songs, personal experiences that we've had where we've seen God work in our life. And we can say, praise the name of Jesus because I saw him work in my life. And this song is about praising him for what he does in our lives. The law in the Old Testament then was not concerned with offerings and sacrifices and per se. They had to do it. It was concerned with the relationship with the Lord that showed itself through true worship, okay? What we do on the outside has to match up what's going on on the inside to be true worship. If we have an outward show, at best we have the same religion as the Pharisees because that's all it was for them, an outward show. Look at me, look at me, I'm a Pharisee. Like that man that stood in the temple that day, forgive, you know, thank God I'm not like this man over here. You know, and, 
and, the, and, and, and Jesus would, would teach and talk about how they would walk in with their tithes and their offerings and, you know, Rabbi so-and-so is placing his tithe in the offering plate today, you know, or whatever. And Jesus said, no, 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 that's outward show. I don't care about that stuff. That's what he's saying here. I don't care about all these sacrifices if your heart's not right, if your heart's not in it. I don't care. You have to have your heart right. I like this. I like this. Uh, I'll come to that quote in just a minute. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is nigh to them that have a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. That's what God desires from us. Broken hearts, contrite spirit in our worship. I love this quote, and I'll read it to you now. It's, it's from the man. His name is Graham Kendrick. How many of you know, have you ever heard the, the hymn, the song, Shine, Jesus, Shine? He wrote that song. He's written a lot of other uh, uh, modern worship songs. But he wrote this. He said this, It is impossible to draw rich worship from poverty-stricken hearts. Worship should develop alongside spiritual growth. That spiritual growth comes from first having that broken heart before God and realizing our place. Coming before God with a broken heart saying, God, heal me, restore me. We have to have open ears. I won't take time to read these two verses, but I will give them to you. You can, you can, uh, you can look them up later. Exodus 21, 5 and 6 is one of them. Isaiah 54 and 5. We have to have our hearts broken. We have to have our ears open so that our spiritual growth will develop and that we really are worshiping God because spiritually we're developing, spiritually we're growing. And we have to have open ears in order to do that. In Exodus 21, 5 and 6, you can, you can read that uh, later. Uh, uh, what it's talking about is, is servants. It's the law dealing with servants. If in the Old Testament a servant wanted to remain with his master, if it was a Jewish servant, and he wanted to remain with his master after the seven-year period that he was a servant to that Jewish man, he could say, I love my master. I want to stay here forever. And you know how they would do that? They would literally open his ear up. They would go to the, to the leaders of the city. They'd take an awl, and they put a hole in his ear. In his ear or earlobe, whatever. Put a hole in it to mark him as a permanent servant of whatever person. But he did it willingly. I love my master. He has treated me well for these past seven years, and I don't want to go out from him. I want to stay with him. He's given me thanks. He's protect. Okay, open your ears. A literal translation. A figurative translation can be found in uh, uh, Isaiah four, uh, 54 to 5, where opening our ears is that figurative way of saying, I want to truly hear what God is saying. I want to truly listen and understand. I don't want to just be background noise. You ever, you know, like the teacher on Peanuts, wah, 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 you know, and then the, the character's like, yes, we did that, Mrs., what, you know, whatever her name was. Wah, 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 wah. We don't want background noise. We don't want wah, 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 wah. We want to know what God really has for us. We want to hear God truly speak. Open our ears so that our hearts can be changed. In both pictures there, Exodus and Isaiah, it's a person who obeys and stays with their master out of a heart of love and willing obedience. That's what God wants from us. Brokenness in our worship. Brokenness in the way we approach God. Finally, brokenness for the lost. Turn over to the New Testament now. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And we'll be in the New Testament the rest of the evening, the Lord willing. Matthew chapter 9. Verses 36 to 38. Very, very familiar portion of Scripture. Our hearts have to be broken over our sin. 
not only the things that we do, but also the, uh, the condition of sin that we live in. Our hearts have to be broken in our worship, the way we approach God, so that when we come before God, we're not doing it out of routine or out of duty, but we're doing it out of love and obedience for Him. We're bringing the sacrifices of praise to God, literally, in our songs. And then when we come to church, but we're doing it out of a loving and obedient heart. And finally, our hearts have to be broken for the lost. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 to 38. But when he saw, speaking of Jesus, the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Why? Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he to the disciples, the harvest is truly plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Jesus' heart was broken for the lost. Jesus had compassion on them. I looked up compassion dictionary here. A feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate that suffering. Compassion goes beyond just, oh man. You watch that commercial and that little puppy dog, you know. That puppy is in a chained up cage. And it, listen, Animal cruelty is bad, so please don't take this the wrong way, okay? Animal cruelty, bad, okay? You know, and you get that heartstring, and then the next commercial is like, come now and buy a new car, you know? And so the whole moment is gone, right? The whole moment is gone on your couch and the TV. But it's more than just that. It's more than just that, oh, man, that's, I want to do something about it. I want to go out and right that situation a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who was stricken by misfortune. When Jesus looked out and saw the multitudes, he looked out and saw people that needed him, that needed the Savior, that only way. We look out in our daily lives, we go around, our, we should be looking out with those eyes of Christ and seeing people the way that Jesus saw them. He had compassion on the lost. He saw multitudes. They were ignorant and careless, you know, Ignorant of the truth. It had been hidden from them. The truth about it, because all the traditions of men and things that the Pharisees were placing on the burdens of the do this and do that and do this and do that. And you got to, you know, and look at how, you know. They were careless in their worship. They were careless in what they did. We have to be careful in the same way not to become ignorant of God's word, ignorant of the truth. And also not to become careless in the way that we approach God, remembering who God is and remember as we approach him who we're approaching. They're precious souls and Christ came to save souls. And when we look on people, we need to have that same compassion for the lost. I want to look back at 36 again. Look at the things that are used to describe the people here. Fainted, scattered abroad, sheep with no shepherd. Fainted has this idea of being destitute or weary. I liked Matthew Henry's commentary, and so I read a little bit of it. Matthew Henry says this, okay? These people had fainted because they had been fed with the ashes of false religion by the Pharisees instead of the bread of life that Christ came to give. They weren't fed with, true, with truth. They were fed with ashes. And anybody that eats the wrong kind of food long enough, it takes a toll on us physically. I imagine these people probably, because of their spiritual... Uh, lack of understanding, probably physically felt that too. There's a connection there. Scattered abroad, no one to guide them. The people that should have been guiding them were not guiding them into truth. 
They had false teachers or they had religious people that were just trying to enforce a code of religion on them rather than the truth of God's word. 1 Kings 22:17. And he said, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep that have not a shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. Scattered abroad. They're everywhere. They're wandering around. They're looking for something. We look around today, and I think people, we can see it on people's faces. You ever looked at the face of someone and thought, man, they don't know. They're ignorant of what God's word is. They're ignorant of the truth. They have been trying to fill their own life with some kind of void, meaningless something in this world, but it's not what we need. Christ is what we need. They're scattered abroad. They don't have a leader. They don't have something that they're looking for. They don't have a reason or a purpose for why they're living. They don't have a direction for their life. They're just out there kind of floating around on a breeze, right? That's Forrest Gump, by the way. They're out there floating around on a breeze. No one to guide them. And the people that should have been guiding them were not. Why? Sheep with no shepherd. That's the third thing that it says. Sheep with no shepherd. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, were idle. They were more interested in what they could get from the people, you know. Uh, the fear of man. If these people will just look at me and think about how great of a person I am because I'm, I'm this Pharisee, I'm this whatever, this religious leader in the community, you know, and they wanted the praise and worship of men. They wanted men to give them praises instead of God to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Shepherds who, who uh, fleeced the flock, right? They didn't feed the flock, they fe- fleeced. I'm going to try saying that. Didn't feed the flock, they fleeced the flock. Took what they could get from the people. Do we have people like that today in our society? We won't go down that road too far, though, okay? But some people who should be spiritual leaders in this world today are not really being spiritual leaders in this world. Some people who are acting as shepherds are not really true shepherds. But that's the idea there, sheep with no shepherd. The harvest is ready. Finally, Jesus says, listen, here's what we got to do, guys. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. When Jesus looked out, he saw, and you know, when you look out and you can see that, that uh, tomato, that cucumber, that corn, when you look at it, you know it's ready. You say, you know what, it's ready. It's time to go pick it. That's what Jesus is doing again, making that, making that reference. He's looking on the people and saying, guys, it's time. We've got to go pick it. What would happen if that crop ripened up, that corn or those peanuts or the whatever, if they ripened up? And the guy looked out, the farmer looked out and said, you know what? I'm just going to stay at the house today. What would happen to that crop eventually? Rot, right? It'd be no good. You couldn't eat it. You couldn't consume it. You couldn't harvest it. It'd just rot. People desire to hear the word, but there's none to preach it. The harvest is ready. People desire to hear the truth, but there's none to preach it. Without the harvester, there's none to gather the harvest. The crop will spoil and die. The duty then for the shepherd was to go, was to uh, pray, also to go. Look over in Matthew 28. Final few verses here tonight. Matthew 28, very, very important. Again, scripture, very familiar scripture. But it bears, it bears reading with this. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Final words Jesus said before ascending into heaven. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore, preach all nations, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. 
Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. The harvest is ready. Go out and harvest. Go out and share the gospel with people that you meet on the street. Go out and share the gospel with people that you work with. The harvest is ready. The harvest is ready. Make disciples. Teach them. The harvest is ready. Now is the time. Acts 1.8. Go there too. We'll read this verse and we'll be done. Acts 1.8. This is our missions verse. Here, there, and everywhere. Acts 1.8 says this, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. Witnesses everywhere. The church on mission. What's Jerusalem? Jerusalem is Dublin for us. What's Judea? Well, Judea could be Bladen County, East North Carolina. What's Samaria? New York. New York is Samaria. It's a different part of the same, it's the same country, same area, but it's a different state. What's the uttermost part of the earth? It's Moldova. That's other mission trips and other mission projects. Here, there, and everywhere. When we come into our missions, when we come into our time, that's what we're to be doing. And not everybody can go, and not everybody should go, not everybody can go, but... We can all be a part of it in how we go, in supporting it, realizing that's the call. It's the great commission, not the great, sometimes it's the great omission, but it is the great commission. It's not the great suggestion. It's not the great, well, maybe. It's the great commission to go. Our heart should be broken over those things tonight. Broken tonight over our sin, that we realize our place before God and who we are, not only in the things that, that we often do, but 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 broken before God in our sin nature. We need to be broken in the way we approach God and our worship for him and how we serve him. And finally, we need to be broken in our heart over the way that we look at lost people around us tonight. Broken heart. How's your heart tonight? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the time that you've given us again this evening. Thank you for